We remember, Lord, those that are in the middle of insanity now, the, the Christmas season upon us and so forth. Uh, Father, we ask today, as we have privilege to look in your word, you'd speak to our hearts, you'd give us our portion. And Lord, I pray this would touch lives in, in different places, Lord, just thinking through this, Lord. I pray it would win the agnostic and the critic, Father. And we put these things before you. We thank you for the freedom we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, And now... The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. That's how, this is how it happened. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, they're engaged. Before they came together, before they had sexual relations, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to divorce her privately. He's not going for the story. God did it. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The birth of Christ was not the miracle in one sense, because he was born the way every other child was born, through the birth canal. The conception of Jesus Christ was miraculous. Whenever we hear about it, we hear about the, the, the mother and the child. No father. Joseph was not the father. The Holy Spirit is the one who overshadowed her. So, um, Mary, thy wife, uh, don't be afraid to take her. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. The reason for he shall save his people, you and I, from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Here's the reason, Matthew said. This is fulfilling something which was spoken literally by the Lord, but through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This event in human history is around Emmanuel, not a man of God, not a godly man, but the God man. Emmanuel is God with us. That's the epicenter of this event um, that the one who laid out the heavens with the span of his hand, the star maker, comes and lies in a manger in an alley in the dark somewhere looking up at the canopy of stars that he put in place. The one who is enshrouded with glory, clothed in unapproachable light, takes off his divine robe of unapproachable light and glory and puts upon himself the skin of a babe. Comes to Bethlehem. God with us. Inconceivable. He stoops down to look through eyeballs when he had seen every human and every broken heart. Now he has to look through a pupil with rods and cones that he designed to see another face. He has to use a human ear now to hear a human voice. He knows our thirst.
He bears our hunger, our loneliness, our sorrows. He dies our death. He lives in our resurrection. He's preparing our place. This one. This one that should come. Unlike any other, Matthew alone says has 99 Old Testament quotations, but at least 60 times Matthew says, and this happened that it might fulfill. Matthew's saying there is prophetic things that were spoken 500, 700, 1,000, 2,000 years before this, that Christ coming in Bethlehem to this woman is fulfilling. He quotes uh, Isaiah 7.14 here, that he would be born, this this sign born of a virgin. Uh, But he says Christ is coming, fulfilling all these things. Interesting, Lee Strobel in his book, um, A Case for Christmas, uh, talks about the first case in American in the justice system where somebody is prosecuted using fingerprints as evidence. In Chicago, September 19th, 1910, Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Hiller in their home on 104th Street, West 104th Street, uh, he's out painting the railing, the trim on the outside of the house, and as they go to bed that night, it's getting towards light, not light the next morning, but it's through the night, and they notice that the gas light in the hallway down by the daughter's room is out, Mrs. Hiller said Clarence got up and went out to see what was going on. She heard a tussle. She heard banging. She heard voices. She heard tumbling down the stairs. She hears two gunshots, the front door slam, and as she comes out, she finds her husband dead, shot at the bottom of the steps. Within an hour, within a mile, the police capture a man named Thomas Jennings. He's bloody. Uh, He's got an injury on his arm, which he claims he got falling out of a streetcar. But they find the gun in his pocket that matches the caliber that the man was killed with. But ballistics was not a science at that point in time, so they're having a hard time proving. They go back to the house and look for more evidence. And what they find is that he came in through the kitchen window and he climbed up over the railing. He put his hand in the wet paint And he put it on the glass as he came in, and he left the fingerprints from his hand on the window in the paint. So they took Thomas Jennings, they put his hand in paint, they made him reproduce it, and four detectives before the court, though the defense wanted it to be inadmissible, proves without a shadow of a doubt this is the same man. These are the same fingerprints. And he was sentenced uh, because of that, and he was hanged. And it was the first time, because fingerprints now have basically become, they got you, if they got your fingerprints. Because they estimate there's between 60 and 100 different lines the way it would go. They can tell if you have celiac disease. They can tell if your skin's dry. They can tell if you have, you know, eczema. They can tell all kinds of things about you by your fingerprint. But they say there's at least 100 points on each fingerprint that proves And the chances of you having the same fingerprint as another human being is 1 in 94 billion. So if they got your fingerprints, they got you. Because there's only 7 billion people on the planet. You would need 9 Earths, 9 Earths with a little over 7 billion people on each Earth to find the potential person with the same fingerprint as you. So your fingerprint can determine your destiny as it determined the destiny of Thomas Jennings, whether he would live or die. Now, you take that, and Lee Strobel does, and apply it to the prophecies 
relative to the life of Jesus, which outweigh any possibility of the fingerprints and so forth. Matthew, again, alone telling us that at least over 60 times that he fulfilled. Jesus, you remember, in the end of Luke, as he's on the road to Emmaus with the two men from Emmaus, he says to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And says he opened up the scriptures to them. He opened up their understanding. Jesus is saying to these men, look, once these prophetic utterances are fulfilled, they become an apologetic. Before they're fulfilled, it's, it's conjecture, it's philosophy. Once a prophecy is fulfilled exactly as it's written, then it becomes an apologetic. Then it becomes a fact. And you can have philosophy, you can have religion. If you set all of that aside for the issue of mathematic probability, we have an argument that no one in the world can overcome. Now, if you're interested, on your own... You can Google, imagine that, I know what Google is. You can Google Dr. Peter Stoner, a book that he wrote called Science Speaks. This is towards the beginning of the last century. He was a math professor at Pasadena College. And uh, they did the compound probably remarkable. It was challenged many times. His son, years later, simplified it and actually made it more conservative than he did. Uh, the facts that I'll work from today, you can find in Dr. Grant Jeffrey's book, The Signature of God. Uh, there'll be a stampede in the bookstore afterwards. But if you're scratching your head through all of this, don't believe me. The Signature of God, which is filled with all kinds of fascinating things. A great read. It's a paperback. Dr. Grant Jeffries. Uh, but he does a chapter also on these probabilities. Here, Jesus saying himself in the end of Luke, that he had fulfilled all of these things that Moses and the prophets had spoken. And he says to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all of these things. Dr. Alfred Edersheim, who wrote The Life and Times of Jesus, the Messiah, wrote an Old Testament history, training to be a rabbi, converted to Christ, says in his study he found at least 456 Messianic references in the Old Testament. 456. He felt a hundred of them were specific to the first coming of Christ. 48 of them were very specific in detail in regards to the first coming of Jesus Christ. He said Jesus is the only one in human history that has those fingerprints. There's no other human that's ever lived that has the possibility of fulfilling even 48, even we're going to just look at 17 today. It's absurd. Listen, mathematical probability. It may not be important to you, but insurance companies survive because of mathematical probability. You know, it's cheaper to insure yourself when you're 25 than when you're 65. Because the possibility of you dying at, 50, at 25 is way less than the possibility of you dying at 65. 
So when they sell insurance policies to 25-year-olds, they do the mathematical probability, gee, out of a million policies, we may lose this many, but we make way more money on them buying the policies than we're paying out. So that's how that business exists by mathematical probability. That's how they do that. You understand mathematical probability. When the, when the game tonight begins between the Eagles and the Bears, uh, what do they do at the beginning? Of, I'm not, don't, don't know, you're going in the wrong place. You think I'm going to say who's going to win, and that's not what I'm doing. Okay, in the beginning, what do they do? They flip a coin to see who's going to receive. Okay, if you flip a coin, there's two sides, heads, tails. The chances of flipping the coin one time and having it come down heads is what? What? Three? Who said that? It's, <laughs> it's one in two. 50, 50, it's one in two that that could happen. Now, if you wanted to flip a coin twice and have it come down heads both times, that's one in two and one in two, so that's one in four that it could possibly happen. If you wanted to flip a coin and have it come down heads ten times, First time would be 1 and 2, then it would be 1 and 4, then it would be 1 and 8, then it would be 1 and 16, then it would be 1 and 32, then it would be 1 and 64, then it would be 1 and 128, then it would be 1 and 256, 1 and 512, 1 and 1024. Ten times is one time. I just did that as I was standing here. The, the chances of you getting heads ten times in a row is 1 in 1024. Okay? So you understand what, that, what, I'm, what I'm saying. That's compound probability. If, we'll do it another way. If one out of ten men is bald, I, I, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just... Then you need nine men with hair, and the tenth one's going to be bald. You need ten men to get one bald man. If one out of ten bald men is missing a front tooth... How many men do you need to get one bald man missing a front tooth? 28? Come on. Somebody work with me here. You, you need 10 lines of men to get 10 bald men because one out of 10 is missing a tooth. So you need 100 men. You need 10 men to get a bald man. And to get a bald man, if one out of 10 bald men are missing a front tooth, then you need 10 lines of 10 men to get 10 bald men to get one of them. So then it goes from, it goes from 10 to 100. That's compound probability. Are we on the same page? Some of you are sleeping. Some of you nod yes because you don't want your buddy to think you don't get anything. I understand. So look. We're go I'm going to look at some of these. I'll start out to give you an idea of how they're rolling, but then, then I'll just kind of, when I get to 10 or so, I'm just going to fly to get to the point here of what I'm talking about. Are you anybody with me? Okay. Uh, Micah said, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephraim, Though thou art little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. What's the chances of being born in Bethlehem? Well, you have to do this, first of all. There's two Bethlehems in Israel in this day. So, first of all, it's one and two. So, but this is specific. It says Bethlehem in Judah. 
What are the chances of being born in Judah? Well, there's 12 tribes. So you got a probability of one in 12 and then one in two. And then in Judah itself, what are the probabilities of being born in Bethlehem? It says among the thousands of Judah because there were thousands of villages. We're going to push all of that aside. All of this compounds incredibly. Let's just take the city of Bethlehem itself, figure now the population is over 20,000. Through the years, population averaged somewhere six to 10,000. Chances of someone being born in Bethlehem to fulfill this in Judah of the right tribe and so forth, you make it very conservative, is probably one in 2,400. You figure the pop, how many are born in New York? How many are born in Las Vegas? How many are born in London? How many are born in New York? You know, one in 2,400, okay? And we know that was fulfilled. We're told in Scripture that he was born there. In fact, Herod, who wanted to kill Christ, went and found the religious leaders, and he said, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, because it says in Micah 5.2, he's going to be born there. So they understood. So first of all, that's one chance in 2,400 that you're born in the right place, that make him the Messiah. Secondly, you know, he's saying that you call him Jesus. The very purpose of his coming was to save his people from their sins. So how many of these messiahs that we might think are born in Bethlehem coming are preceded by a messenger? Behold, Isaiah 43, I send my messenger before thy face to prepare thy way. We know it was John the Baptist. How many famous messiah people do you know? that came that had a messenger go before them, eating locusts, wild honey, you know, just a character. He, he went as conservative as he could. He said, let's throw out the big numbers. Let's just do one in 20. If it's one in 20 that makes that true, then what we do is we take our one in 2,400 for Bethlehem. We multiply that by 20 for a messenger in front of him. And the chances with two being fulfilled is one in 48,000. Now I'll go on so you get the idea. He's going to enter Jerusalem on a cult. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. How many famous kings rode into a city on a donkey that you know of? So we make it, it's probably one in thousands, let's make it one in 50. We'll go way down, so we're not exaggerating, we're not stretching anything. One in 50, so if we take then 50 times the, uh, the 4,800 we have already, uh, then we come out with one chance in 2,400,000 that the three prophecies can be filled. If he's betrayed by a friend... Many of us have been betrayed by a friend, but none of us are messiahs. So if you have somebody who's a king, who's riding on an ass, who's a, who's a you know, possible messiah, how many of them are betrayed by a friend? Just say one in ten, which is way conservative. Because it says in Psalm 41.9, even mine own friend whom I trusted has lifted up his heel against me. So then you do ten times 2,400,000, the chance of fulfilling four prophecies is one in 24 million. Fifth prediction, his hands and his feet would be pierced. How many kings do we know coming, supposed messiahs, have their hands and their feet pierced? Let's say one in a hundred. It's way higher than that. Because Psalm 22 says, dogs have compassed me about, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they have pierced my hands and feet. So if we're going to do this fifth prediction, we have to do 100 
times uh, 24 million, and we come out with 2.4 billion. That's with five fulfilled. The sixth prediction, that he would be wounded by his enemies. Now, that's not too outlandish. Uh, How many kings, with all of these things going on, are wounded by their enemies? Uh, Probably one in 50,000. Let's say one in 10. So we're not exaggerating anything. Isaiah 53, 5 says that uh, when they had scourged him, they delivered him to be crucified. He's wounded by his enemies. So let's take 10 times 2.4 billion. Now it rises to one chance in 24 billion with six fulfilled. Seven uh, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's very specific. How many, do you imagine, famous Messiah figures through history have been betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? Zechariah 11, 12, hundreds of years before Christ says, Then I said unto them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. If not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. We're told specifically, of course, in Matthew that took place. The probability of that happening, now you do 50 times 24 billion, you get 1 trillion 200 billion. I know you're doing this in your head as we're going on. Eight predictions that he's going to be spit on and beaten. This is a famous king, a Messiah figure, maybe one in ten. There's lots of Messiahs around today. None of them get spit on and beaten. Isaiah said, you've struck me, my cheeks, you plucked out my beard. I haven't, I haven't hid the, my face from the, the, the shame of their spitting. We know that was fulfilled in Matthew. So if that's one in ten, now we're doing ten times one trillion, two hundred billion. And the chances now are getting up there above twelve trillion to one with just that many taking place. Now look, so that I don't murder everybody, let me just go on here. Ninth prediction, and I won't, uh, when I get to the end, we'll, we'll, we'll weigh it out. Ninth prediction, maybe one in 200, that his betrayal money would be thrown into the temple and then go to the potter's field. How many do you think that happened to? I mean, we'll say one in 200. Probably didn't happen to anybody else. Could be, we could say one in a billion. We'll say one in 200. Clearly, Zechariah predicted that in Zechariah eleven thirteen. Clearly, Matthew 27 tells us that, that the 30 pieces of silver were thrown down in the temple, which wasn't existing when it was prophesied. And then they didn't want the money because it was blood money, and then they took it to the potter's field. Uh, the 10th prediction, uh, he would be silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53 said, as a lamb before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. We know that Pilate was amazed and said, aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to defend yourself? It says he didn't speak a word. Eleventh prediction, he would be crucified with thieves. Maybe one in a hundred on that one. Probably one in thousands crucified between two thieves. Isaiah said it, fulfilled in Matthew 27. Twelfth prediction, people would gamble for his clothing. How many people do we know that are Messiah, King, whatever, claiming to be something, have their clothing gambled for? Let's say one in a hundred. It's probably one in 20,000, 100,000, who knows? Of course, Psalm 22, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they did cast lots. John chapter 19 tells us that was fulfilled exactly. Thirteenth prophecy, his side would be pierced. 
How many messiahs going through all these things have their side pierced? We'll say one in a hundred. It's probably one in thousands. Zechariah said that would take place. John 19 tells it was, it was fulfilled. None of his bones would be broken. The mutilation, the beating, everything we see him go through. How many would go through something like this under the Roman legions or under some cruel despotic government, military government, and not have a bone broken? Let's say one in 20. Certainly, we're told in Psalm 34, 20, that not a bone would be broken. John tells us that was fulfilled. Fifteenth prediction, his body would not decay. What do you think the odds are on that one? You know, be serious. You know, Lazarus, after four days, stunketh. We're told that he wouldn't abandon David's soul to the unseen realm. Neither would he let his Holy One see corruption. That he would be killed and his body would not decay. What do you think the odds are there? We'll say one in 10,000. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Because we don't know anybody through the ages or on the planet today who dies and doesn't decay. Unless they're frozen. They will when they thaw. His burial in a rich man's tomb. How many do you know that do that? You know, how many of your friends were buried in Howard Hughes' tomb? A Rockefeller tomb? A man extremely wealthy? None of my friends. Not my kids. Probability, maybe one in a hundred. It's probably way, way higher than that. Every one of these extremely, extremely conservative. Here's the 17th prediction we're taking one out of 17 of these being fulfilled, darkness covering the earth when you die. What's the statistic probability of that? Uh, you know, and it isn't just you go to the Roman records, you go to the Roman historians, they all say anybody who said this was an eclipse doesn't understand that it was the time of the full moon that's because it's Passover. The Romans record the darkness over the entire Mediterranean world in a number of different places. We've cited the historical references here before. You can go back to the Gospels when we talked about the darkness and all of the statistics are there. I gave them. But what do you think the probability is, the possibility of someone dying and in their death, darkness covering the world? Any of your friends? Anybody you know? We make this extremely conservative. Let's say one in a thousand. But it's one in millions or billions. So we'll take now these figures, okay? If you multiply them out, like flipping the coin, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, you remember. We'll mul multiply these out, 17, that anybody could come and fulfill 17 of these prophecies is 480 billion times a billion times a trillion or it's 480 with 30 zeros after that. That's a number called absurd. It doesn't exist. That's just 17. When you go to 48, and Dr. Peter Stoner does, it's, it's senseless. 17 will do this. If Jesus fulfilled all 17 of those prophecies, the chance of him doing that mathematically is one in 480 with 30 zeros off after it, or one in 480 billion times a billion times a trillion, that he would come and fulfill all of those. Let me make that clearer. 
If we take every one of those chances and make it the size of a grain of sand, let's take 480 billion times a billion times a trillion grains of sand, and only one of those grains of sand is the chance that could have happened by mistake. This is what we do. That's enough sand to fill the Milky Way galaxy from one end to the other, from top to bottom, and all the way across. Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years across. That means traveling 100,000 years at 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years to travel across the Milky Way galaxy. It's all filled with grains of sand. So you're going to get on the Starship Enterprise... Spock's going to tell you when you get on, this does not seem logical, but you're not going to listen. They're going to blindfold you, you're going to put it in warp speed, and you're going to head across the Milky Way galaxy at, a at the speed of light. And somewhere in your 100,000 year journey at the speed of light, you're going to have this hunch. That grain of sand is right around here somewhere, and you're jumping out the door blindfolded, and you're going to grab the one grain of sand that's painted red. What do you think the chances of that are? Those are the chances of this book being accurate about 17 prophecies when it gives hundreds. Those are the chances that this book is written by mistake with 17 prophecies. Those are the chances that you can't trust this book. One in 480 billion times a billion times a trillion that you can't. In other words, that's absurd. You can trust this book completely. On the other side of it, what are the chances of this baby in Bethlehem fulfilling not just 17, not just 48, not just 100, 400 references? Messianic references. What are the probabilities of that happening? It is divine. It is supernatural. It is Emmanuel. God with us for this to take place. Now you understand a little bit more why John says, in the beginning was the Word. That's the Logos. We use it for the written Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in verse 14 he says, the Word was made flesh. All of these prophecies, all of this. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's why that starry night in Bethlehem, in a manger, a little stone feeding trough, not in a building with a thatched roof and neon lights, out in an alley somewhere in the cold. The shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, it says, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Behold, fear not, I bring you tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And it says, suddenly there appeared the multitude of heavenly hosts saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Understand what it's saying. Suddenly there appeared the multitude of heavenly armies. One translator says, a vast array of heavenly armies. Listen, how many Tolkien fans we got here? Admit it, you're in church, you think you, you sinned when you went to see The Hobbit, don't you? How many of you saw The Hobbit? Okay, somebody seen any of The Hobbits, seen any of those movies, Lord of the Rings, any of those? okay, okay. 
five or six of us, we can communicate here. You know, you know, you love those scenes where, you're like, you see on the on the walls all the elf, you know, armies standing there at attention with their bows, and then the armies of men. And here comes these armies of orcs. You know, these how many? Twenty thousand, fifty thousand. One angel in one night kills one hundred eighty-five thousand orcs in Second Kings. One angel, one night. You think those elf armies look cool? Imagine what those shepherds saw when heaven opened up and the vast array of the armies of heaven, boom, standing there with their swords and their shields and their their glitter and their glory standing there. These shepherds were freaked out. All of these armies of heaven overwatching one child in a back alley in a manger wrapped in rags because that was Emmanuel. God with us. And the probability of him being there was unimaginable. It was supernatural. That's our Savior. That's our Lord who promised to come and be with us. And he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's with us today. Imagine that scene when those shepherds saw those the armies of heaven. And what do they cry about? Peace. Armies. The armies. The most incredible armies imaginable. Goodwill. Peace. This baby. That's laying there in rags. It's going to settle the issues. Peace on earth. Sins forgiven. You'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. This is our Savior. It's our Lord. It's our book. It is true. He came once. He's coming again. And anybody who wants to think can get in the game. Because math is math. I hope skeptics listen I hope critics listen. I hope everybody who wants to be genuine to any degree says, I can't believe this. Go and do it yourself and work it out. It is miraculous. It is supernatural. This babe. This God. Pink skin. Wrapped in flesh and bone coming to walk among us. And he ascends in that restriction, never to put off that frame again. That's incalculable to me to understand the implications of that. I know it's not your normal Christmas message. Some of you are going to walk out and say, I think Pastor Joe talked about Christmas. I'm not sure. You started there. I, I think it was good. I'm not sure. PDF, Dr. Peter Stoner, Science Speaks, you can download it. Signature of God, Grant Jeffries. And the whole book is filled with those kind of great stuff in there. Do it yourself. Look at it. You're in college, it's great. You're in high school, it's great. You're a teacher, great stuff. You're a scientist, great stuff. You're a skeptic, great stuff. You're a doctor, great stuff. Undeniable. 
undeniable. For you and I, isn't it wonderful that uh, not many wise are chosen? We don't have to know that. We can be as children in his presence. We can just cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I never liked math. I never liked algebra. I never liked calculus. I believe. I don't have to take those classes, do I? No, no, come here. No, no, you don't. (laughs) It's wonderful, isn't it? We will realize one day, you know, the import. What happened at that moment when that child came forth? who was wrapped in glory, to be wrapped in rags, to be among us, to breathe our air, to drink our water, to feel our pain and our sorrow, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, to die our death, to live today in our resurrection where our life is hidden Christ with God, and to prepare our place. If all of these things were true, all of those things are true. He's coming soon for the second time. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. We put them before you, Lord. And just as we look at your word, Lord, as we look at the the possibility, the probability, Lord, all of this, Lord, It fills us with wonder. And we're so thankful, Lord, and in such simplicity we can gather before you, Lord. That we can know you, Lord. And that outweighs anything else that we have to know. That you speak to us through your word. That your Holy Spirit prompts us. That Christ, Emmanuel, lives within us never to leave us or forsake us. Let us sit with you today, Lord, and rejoice. Let us lift our hearts away from the traffic and the shopping and all the insanity, Lord. Let our hearts today be filled with wonder, Lord. We love you. We believe we're asking these things according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.